good morning and welcome to Taking Ship, a guided cruise through dumbest timeline America, where democracy still reigns for now at least. I'm Ellie Jacobs, joined for today's cruise by Maggie Moore, who once killed a man for taking too long to order a slice of pizza. Frank Spring has the week off again because he's European or something. Welcome, Maggie. Hey, Ellie. Um, As always, we'd like to thank all of our listeners um, for any sort of feedback they have, either positive, negative, or somewhere in between. Um, So please go ahead and um, rate us on iTunes or whatever app that you're listening to us on now. Uh, Please also be sure to visit our website, www.takingship.com, and buy some of these t-shirts if you want it or if you don't, then why are you even listening to the show? Um, And finally, please join our... Uh, our wonderful fleet on Twitter uh, at taking ship and that ship with a P as in poppy seed. You can follow Ellie at, at Ellie Jacobs, me at Maggie M zero one two and Frank at, at Frank spring. So I figured that today we'd start a little bit more on a surprisingly serious note, uh, or at least as a serious as the two of us can actually get. Yeah. Um, because the news broke last night uh, that Senator John McCain passed away at the age of 81 uh, after, and I, th- I think it was maybe just the day before that, um, yeah. that his family that announced he was no longer going to be seeking treatment uh, for his cancer. So um, it's a big moment. Yeah. Also uh, a year, um, nine years to the day when Ted Kennedy died of the same disease. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. I I read that somewhere and it was, you know, two giants of the Senate really. So there's a lot that Mm -hmm. we can talk about John McCain. Um, There's a lot we can talk about in terms of alt centrism and a lot of the reactions people are reading or seeing last night and today, and probably for the next week or so. Um, We're going to skip all that for the time being, because um, at the bottom line, the man was a hero Mm -hmm. and he served his country for his entire life. So for the time being, we're not going to say anything negative about the deceased. We will say yeah, positive that things. Doesn't even happen. Yeah, positive we things. Positive um, we will say, I will say two things in particular that always, well, three things that always impressed me about John McCain. Um, one was mm-hmm. he kept a sense of humor, uh, even if it was biting and sarcastic right. and, 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 you know, danced a pretty dangerous line sometimes. Um, but he always had it and it was always evident in any interview mm-hmm. he was doing. Um, I only met him once briefly in an elevator and didn't really interact with him, but you know, all these tweets and Facebook posts, you're seeing people who've you know, had brief interactions with him. It's all, you know, it all, a lot of it comes down to him just yeah. very humble and then having a sense of humor. Uh, the other two, I would say, um, maybe surprisingly, maybe not, I don't, I'm not sure, um, how to characterize it, but, uh, he was very supportive of, uh, LGBT in the military. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, was certainly against the party orthodoxy and and probably um, surprising to some as as a veteran of his age um, to be supportive of something like that. And then finally, um, uh, Matt's, our good friend Matt Zeller, who um, is a Truman Project member and runs an organization called No One Left Behind, which works to get uh, translators uh, from Af- Iraq and Afghanistan veterans um, settled into the U.S., um, McCain was uh, incredibly influential in pushing through Um, the special immigration visas, the SIVs that were so desperately needed that the Republicans were just um, fucking around with to prevent from happening. Uh, McCain really worked very, very hard to push those through, um, including um, uh, personally intervening to get uh, Matt's translators, Janice, um, out of Afghanistan. So um, those are, you know, three quick things that I would say about John McCain. What about you? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I'm a little less familiar with, um, his, with his record, but one thing that really struck me, um, and actually got me feeling pretty emotional was, um, Barack Obama's statement, uh, that he released, which I would love to read just a snippet of, because I'm sure many people have also, uh, read it as well. It starts, John McCain and I were members of different generations, came from completely different backgrounds, and competed at the highest level of politics. But we shared, for all of our differences, a fidelity to something higher, the ideals for which, Ameri- for which generations of Americans and immigrants alike have fought, marched, and sacrificed. Remember when our political leaders used such beautiful language like that? Barely. I barely recommend remember that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this, this statement is, is pretty short. Um, it doesn't need to be rehashed here. Um, and I think that that was, uh, it's just, it's a beautiful way to sort of say and recognize someone who, um, you know, is on the other side of the aisle and that they went, that you had blows with, but, you know, um, still respected them as a person. And I think that there were a lot of statements that I read um, that said similar things about, you know, we didn't always agree, um, but I respected him. So I respect that as well. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I would say, and, and um, I don't know that we can officially put a taking stamp, uh, taking ship stamp of approval on this, but uh, I love uh, Chuck Schumer's idea of renaming the Russell Senate building for John McCain. It is pretty good. Um, right, that's two I, I thirds of us. Frank, Frank's not here, so it's an official taking ship position. Quorum. Great. <laughs> Endorsed. Because that's really yeah. what people want is our endorsement on opinions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see uh, if it actually happens, uh, but I think it's a great idea. Um, Mm-hmm. Russell was obviously a, a, a giant of the Senate in his own time, but he also was unbelievably racist and supported all the draconian uh, racial laws that uh, Lyndon Johnson was working so hard to take down during the 60s. Um, I'm all for uh, the renaming of, of these. I think these buildings should be renamed more frequently uh, less, yeah. and less frequently, um, but I'm all for them naming it for John McCain. Um, so hopefully uh, Mitch McConnell doesn't, uh, discounted completely because it was a democratic idea, but uh, it, it'd be a nice thing. Well, the thing is, is that we're, you know, Chuck Schumer is offering up a building that was named after a Democrat to yeah. then be replaced by a Republican. So if anything, I feel like that will appeal to McConnell's, you know, craven brain. I don't know. I mean, you, yeah. Speaking of craven, uh, what, what was the one that got me this week? And I think this will be the way that I can uh, not jackknife a, a segue quite as yeah, badly as previously. <laughs> um, uh, uh, it was it Thursday that Lindsey Graham said he fully expects Donald Trump to fire Jeff Sessions after the midterms? Um, Jeff Sessions being Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third, or AKA J- Jeff Bo or Trebo. Sorry, Trebo. Jesus, I blew that. We haven't talked about him in so long. Right. Um, and, and, you know, Graham was also the same person who at some point had tweeted that if we nominate Trump, it'll be the destruction of the party. So to watch how he has. Um, bowed down to Trump and has become as feckless, uh, spineless, hypocritical, and craven as everybody else in the mm. grand old party of Trump um, ha- has been not surprising, but certainly disappointing. Uh, didn't Trump also give out Lindsey Graham's cell phone number during the primaries? Wasn't that a thing? Yeah, I think he did dox him. Why would he do that? Because he's a dick. Because he's a dick. Also, like, if you're using a flip phone, can uh, can't really handle that many phone calls at once. Right. I don't actually know if he has a flip phone or not, but like, I feel like he does. A lot of senators do. Like Chuck yeah. Schumer still ha- uses one. I had a boss not- that was still using one, even though he had an iPhone. But like for phone calls, he would still use um, an old uh, razor. 
The last time I used a flip phone uh, was on the campaign. Um, they gave us four burner phones basically to hand right. out for phone banks. And like, there's nothing more satisfying than snapping that phone shut yeah. when you're done talking to someone. But otherwise, that's the only thing it's good for. Right. Or, I mean, when we all decide that social media is terrible and the internet is awful and we just need to, a way to contact one another, we may all just go back to it. That's true. Just I love like, those commercials for like old people's cell phones that run during the news sometimes. Yeah. Where it's like big numbers and it's like a $20 a month thing. Cause like, it's just enough for you to call your grandkids, like something like that. Right. I, I just, I love those ads. I'm like, oh, I, I want to do that. Why it's can't a great I do price. that? <laughs> and honestly, after this week in the news, Jesus which Christ. by the way, could not catch a breath. No. Um, I would, I would not mind being, being off the digital reservation. Um, yeah, we were talk- this is, actually this talking is the first, about that. This is the first week in, in, in months where I had things to do, but because of the just fire hose of news, I got nothing done over Wednesday and Thursday. Like, just right. didn't get anything done. What was that news, Ellie? What was that news? The news uh, included such wonderful tidbits as the CEO of American Media, which owns the National Enquirer's name is David Pecker. <laughs> which is like something that only like Dickens could come up with. I know. Um, and I feel like the New York Post and New York Daily News really blew their opportunities to use that name um, mm-hmm. in, in their favor when they posted the headlines uh, that he had, um, uh, he's a cooperating witness. He has pled, he's been granted immunity by the, by the um, prosecution to Ugh. presumably to testify about whatever is in this safe that they kept mm-hmm. of Trump treasures um, and uh, other celebrities apparently as well. Right. Um, so uh, this week uh, we got the guilty uh, verdict on eight of 18 counts from Paul Manafort, uh, Michael Cohn, President Trump's uh, erstwhile attorney who apparently went to the worst law school in the country, but I, that clearly doesn't matter, um, pled guilty uh, and is facing three to six years in prison, I think, and has said that he will cooperate fully. Um, and apparently uh, Lanny Davis, his the former Clinton attorney who is now representing Michael Cohn, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, everybody should check out Ryan Lizza wrote a profile of Lanny Davis and Esquire. Um, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if it's in the print edition. I read it online and people should check it out because it's part of Lanny Davis's whole thing. And I've, I've read one or two of his books. Um, part of his whole thing is sort of remaking individuals reputations after they've done, after they've done bad, like Martha Stewart, for instance. Um, ah. So part of this idea is, you know, turning Michael Cohn into a lefty hero, uh, which I don't know that's actually going to work, but, People seem very excited about him pleading guilty. And then on Friday, late in the day on Friday, because why the fuck not? Uh, we not? found out that the Trump organization CFO, who uh, Trump and many other people have said knows where every single cent in that organization is. Um, and in one of my favorite lines, uh, he was meeting with uh, Tim O'Brien, who's now uh, the editor of Bloomberg Views and previously had written a book about Trump and then Trump sued him. Uh, because O'Brien calculated that he was worth significantly less money. And then the, through the, throughout the course of the um, depositions in that lawsuit, Trump uh, perjured himself any number of times. Um, but uh, O'Brien recounts this conversation where he was interviewing Trump and Trump said, no, I'm worth this much. And O'Brien was like, no, this much. And he said, go talk to Alan Weisselberg or Weisselberger, whatever his name is. Um, and then they sat down and like did the numbers on a yellow pad and like it was a billion dollars that was missing and Weisselberg got up and said, uh, I'm going to go back to my office and find that other billion dollars. And then he never came back. So Weisselberg is clearly a guy who knows where everything is. So 
um, uh, uh, you know, the way I have always been putting this, or at least when we go on our friend Steve Jackson's show, uh, I always talk about people's impeachment mm-hmm. boners and they shouldn't get mm-hmm. excited. Last week probably had a lot of people um, rushing to emergency rooms, yeah. but um, I'm still not there. I mean, I feel no type of way about impeachment, to be quite honest. What I do think, though, is that what happened last week um, was a pretty big deal. And I think that um, uh, this will be a political moment that we remember for quite some time um, instead of getting sort of lost in the sort of like general news uh, kerfuffle that's happening all the time. Getting lost Um, by John McCain's death. Uh, getting lost by no, but just like the the general deluge of constant yeah. news all the time. Like this, this actually was like um, could potentially be a turning point. Where are we actually yeah. going? I don't know. Um, right. But I think that this is will be a marker just to put a pin in. Um, but going back to uh, the National Enquirer bit uh, with Pecker and things like that, I think that catch and kill is so is deeply deeply disturbing. Um, and what I was you know. Uh, scrolling around for something to read on the internet, and I came across a piece in the concourse uh, by, by Diana Moskovitz, who uh, lays out several other examples of powerful folks using the catch and kill idea with the National Enquirer um, to bury their stories. I mean, Bill Cosby now, did it, right? Oh, just wait. We'll get to that one because yes, Bill Cosby did do it multiple times. Uh, we are all aware that Harvey Weinstein did it, um, but the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, Tiger Woods. Um, but the best, best or worst, again, depending on how you want to rank things, the best time, the best one of, version of these is when Cosby quashed a story about himself by giving the Inquirer the story about his daughter going to rehab. That is brutal. That's, it's brutal. That's, that's some fine parenting right there. That is some really fine parenting. So there's Dr. now... Dr. Huxtable just got mad about oh. Theo having an earring put in, and this is what happened. Wow. Exactly. Um, so I'm glad that we are actually talking about this. Um, but I really hate that Pecker has immunity. Yeah. But I don't know what's going to come out. So I'm interested to see, but also just like, I, I don't like that they gave him immunity. Yeah. I mean, you know, I immediately turned to looking at this from like the political spectrum and what it all means and how campaigns should be responding to it. And I have been um, very opposed to any Democrat at all at any point saying the word impeachment. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Steyer, I think, is uh, his campaign is uh, unbelievably detrimental. Um, Nancy Pelosi, who, you know, God bless Nancy, um, but her comment of just win, baby, uh, in response to everybody talking, should we be talking about impeachment and everything else? And her, her um, several memos that have come out from various different campaign committees saying, just don't talk about it. Um, uh, I continue to think is the way to go. Um, I would actually say that any candidate who is asked about it, uh, the response should be canned and it should basically be something along the lines of this. I'm, I didn't say anything about impeachment. You did. Mm. What we should be doing, all we want to do if, we, if Democrats take the House and the Senate and or the Senate is we want to uh, discharge our constitutional duty to hold the president to account and act as a check on the power of the executive. You know, those powers that your party has abdicated for the last 18 months that you were so gung-ho on during the Barack Obama administration. That's it. That's what you respond with. And then if you get pushed further, you say, from what I've seen thus far, I don't see, you know, I'm not comfortable with the idea of an impeachment, um, but 
we'll see what Robert Mueller comes up with. Because again, he is such a huge X factor in all of this. Everybody gets exactly. distracted by the headlines or whatever else it is. Mueller's team has not said a word to the press. They continue to not say a word to the press. I, had, I read an article last week about uh, in the Salt Lake Tribune about the spokesman for the Mueller investigation that doesn't say anything. Like, the guy <laughs> like he repeatedly just doesn't say anything. Right. And the reality is, is that each time one of the indictments come out of Mueller's team, the level of detail that he has access to, when he can tie specific times of when Trump may have said something to Russian bot reaction from certain IP addresses, when he can tie that like within hours, the level of access to data that he has that we are completely unaware of. You know, they keep right. talking about that the day of the Russian meet the Russian meeting in, in Trump Tower where Jared and Paul Manafort and Don Jr. met with this lawyer who worked works for the government that was set up through some promoter and you know utter utter sketch and then Trump dictated a false statement, which gets thrown into the obstruction mm-hmm. of justice category and everything else, that uh, Don Jr. placed several numbers to a block number, calls to a block number. Right. That's not necessarily blocked to Mueller. We don't know. Right. We literally have no idea what he's doing. Uh, we know that there is <clears throat> that he's following a path towards obstruction mm-hmm. uh, and following an, the, the path that he obviously is supposed to, which is the Russia collusion and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And the obstruction thing is huge because if people, um, and we'll come back to this, I think, um, if people don't want, you don't have to go too far back. One of the articles of impeachment that uh, the House found uh, that the House impeached Bill Clinton over was obstruction. Mm-hmm. And one of the articles that was drawn up for Nixon, uh, he resigned before the House could vote on it. One of those charges, one of those articles was also about obstruction. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. And it is a big deal. I feel like I f- saw, sorry, really quickly. I feel like I saw a tweet responding to someone on Fox News, or maybe it was one of um, this, his spokespeople said, they're trying to Al Capone Donald Trump. I think by that Trump meaning, like that. getting him on tax evasion, it's like, I have many questions about that framing. Yeah. Um, but like, yes, tax evasion, tax evasion is a crime. And like, we're going to get you on obstruction too. I just yeah. think that, I think you're right in saying that the X factor, we don't actually know what's going on in the investigation. And what we have to trust is that the investigation is going, that Mueller is just following where the investigation takes him. Right. He's not doing an investigation to take us to an impeachment place. That's not the goal. And constantly beating the drum on that is not a good idea. Right. Uh, because then what if, you know, we get really close to impeachment or what the investigation finds, like, could lend itself well to that? Well, a lot of people aren't going to believe it because it's... Right. Fixed by right. I mean, you start, doing, you start doing some math. And I read, a, there was a Washington Post article that I think came out last year that said, uh, if impeachment becomes an issue, these 101 members of Congress are going to be very uncomfortable. Because there are 101, 101 members of Congress uh, who are members of Congress now who were members of Congress uh, during the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Right. And some 42 of them uh, were either congressmen then um, or senators then or were congressmen and now are senators, Mm -hmm. but they all would have had a vote. Um, 42 of them voted to impeach Bill Clinton on obstruction of justice. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's still it all comes down to the math and even people who are gung ho about let's do impeachment in the House. Let's get it done so that we that, that 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 we get there which is what yeah. the Republicans did, again, against Bill Clinton, and mm-hmm. then it failed in the Senate. Um, the problem is, is that that bar of 67 votes 
is huge. That means you need to find, there are 34 people that can prevent it. And if you look at the Republican caucus, there are 40, 33, 30, Mm -hmm. there are at least 34 craven, spineless assholes who have bent the knee to Donald Trump to such a point that their base in Fox News is more important. So unless Mueller comes up with stuff that is so, you know, has Trump so dead to rights guilty of something, yeah, it's sort and of like proof, and the proof is so sacrifice. <laughs> right. Right. I'm no like even then, like I feel like the Fox News, like unless there were ashes and a God actually responded somehow by the to that human sacrifice, they're not gonna believe it. Truly. Yeah. 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 So um, in summary, don't talk about impeachment. Uh just please. do the work. Talk about the economy. Uh talk about Republicans not doing their jobs of holding the president to account. I mean the you know, the select yeah. committee in the house is a laughing stock. Done and done. They're yeah. they breezy. Yeah. Let's um, talk about other craven assholes though. Yes. I actually, speaking of deeply craven, Michael Cohen is a really interesting figure to me in that. I'm sure everybody remembers this now is him saying he would literally take a bullet for the president. And yet he is now, uh, you know, he pleaded guilty. Like, and now he's actually cooperating with an investigation. Like, A, how did that happen? Well, I don't know how much I fully believe um, his version of events, basically saying, like, um, he had a conversation with his father, um, saying, like, you should not side with a man uh, when, uh, like, you shouldn't side with this person. Uh, you come from a line of Holocaust survivors. This is not the kind of president that you actually want to align yourself with. Um, I don't know. That to me feels pretty fucking craven to like yeah. have that story come out. Like, Oh, I, that, I don't know. I, I, that left a real bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. I mean, he had the middle ground. So it originally was, I'll take a bullet for him. And then he did an interview um, with George Stephanopoulos uh, off camera interview with George Stephanopoulos, where he said, um, uh, my country and my family are more important than Donald Trump. So like he started walking that back, but I still like my favorite Michael Cohn thing was, he was doing that interview with CNN and uh, I can't remember who the reporter was, maybe Kira Phillips. I, I can't remember who it was, but you know, said that Donald Trump's he's losing in all the polls and like Michael Cohen, very like straight face said, which polls and the reporter like had to be like uh, uh, all of them. <laughs> Literally all of them. <laughs> yeah. But little did we know that all the polls were wrong. So maybe Michael Cohen does know something. Oh, he knows something. Yeah. We just had yeah. to figure out what it is. Yeah, yeah, because he did not plead guilty because of unpaid taxes on taxi medallions. <laughs> That's the most New York thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. Yeah, so I I am quite pleased. Also, how weird and like planet aligning is it that Manafort and Cohen happened within hours of each hours. other? That yeah. like, I feel like sometimes the Lord giveth and sometimes the Lord taketh away. This felt like a giveth moment. Right. Many people were losing their minds, rightfully so. It was a big deal. See, I, you know, if I put on my utter cynical press manipulation hat. Aren't you always wearing that hat? I'm just naturally cynical, but when I, I want to go a level deeper, I have to put the hat on. Yeah. I, I, you know, part of me looks at the way it was happening and the timing of it mm. and the Southern District of New York only made the announcement that they were going to be holding a press conference at 4 p.m. after it became clear that Manafort had, uh, the jury had reached some conclusions. Part of me looks at that and like, 
I think like Lanny Davis and Michael Cohn's legal team were like, you know what, we could make this a home run and really put Cohn in the, like the, the, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of, of lefty heroes for the time being is if we do this the same day and it just owns the news for three days. Cause I think Honestly, if it would, that's smart. Yeah. It's brilliant. Like if part of your whole thing is reputation management and you're trying to, you know, help this guy along. Way to become wow. the patron saints of liberal Twitter. Right. Yeah. 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 Who else yeah. do we have that did interesting things in court this week? Oh, this is just like, this has just been a, a year of men behaving very badly, but also True. like men throwing their wives under the bus because Duncan Hunter yeah. was indicted, which, um, I indicted just, a lot, indicted a lot, like a lot, a lot. And basically said, I don't know. My wife handles that stuff. Right. Like, come on, dude. Right. My wife handles the payments to the at least 18 women I was carrying on affairs with, which like some of whom may have been professional sex workers. Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, but my, f- there's a couple, there's a couple fun facts just generally about Duncan Hunter that I really enjoy. One is that they flew their pet bunny first class. Okay. Can I be Duncan Hunter's pet bunny? Like I want to fly first class. Uh, I've only done it one time and it was great. Um, but who flies a bunny? Just put it in a bag and carry it with you. I don't know. Yeah, Does it need I, a complaint ticket? But it did, it did give our good friend Sean Van Diver the opportunity to create a pack against Duncan Hunter called Bunny Pack, which is just exactly. epic. Yes. And, you know, he was laughing all the way to the bank. Um, and then the other is that just generally, like, the, mis- the, the brazen misuse of uh, campaign, campaign contributions, of just using their finances, using his campaign bank account like a personal credit card. Yeah. Um, he had accrued so many overdraft fees, um, like in the several hundreds of thousands of dollars in overdraft fees, that if you average it out uh, across a year, it equals um, three overdrafts a day. Which is insane, but also sounds like me in my really early 20s. Um, <laughs> so, like, who, who am I to throw stones? But, like, um, this has just been an insane week for, uh, for members of our government um, to just uh, to be held at least a little bit accountable. So, yeah, even yeah. though it was crazy, I think I was pretty grateful for it. I mean, what, what I find remarkable, both with the Trump stuff, um, and, like, the campaign finance stuff, um, our, the laws in our country are obviously... Bizarre, unruly, murky, Byzantine, Byzantine, and you know John McCain and uh, Russ Feingold tried to create a law, the McCain-Feingold bill, that then all the judges that McCain voted for destroyed. But again, we're not speaking ill of him yet. <laughs> not um, yet. But if you look at these jackasses, um, and it seems to be more Republicans than Democrats that are doing these campaign violation things. I just had to re- I just had to look up his name because I couldn't remember who who what his name was. But Aaron Shock. He's the guy who used campaign money to remake his office to look like Downton Abbey. Oh my God. Yeah, that, that was, was a the thing. best story I ever read. Yes, I forgot about him. Yes. Yeah, that was, that was a thing. Um, so it, it, anybody who has ever had to be involved anywhere near campaign finance stuff knows the level of specificity that, that when things are actually coming directly into a campaign versus into one of these murky 501 whatevers, mm-hmm. um, you have to account for like pencils. Right. Um, you're, you're going to get caught because it's not, like, it's not like some guy's now sitting there with a giant ledger with like, you know, a green visor over his head going line by line with a ruler, you know, with his sleeves rolled up. Now they have computer programs that like, you know, will pull out something that doesn't look right. Right. So 
don't fuck around with that one. Like of all things. You really can't. The other thing is that what I find so shocking. Flying your bunny first class. Like how you're, somebody's going to notice that shit. That's what I'm saying is that the flagrancy by which they are, you know, doing something that's so absurd, which then makes me kind of think about um, what are the smaller, right, less noticeable ways that literally anyone from either party uh, is violating right. campaign funds. That it takes flying your bunny first class to get caught, or yeah. recreating Downton Abbey in your office, which like that is dedication to the bit. Like, yeah. good job, you friend. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's the most absurd among these that actually that actually gets folks caught, um, and that was like as absurd as it gets because that's the time we're living in. It is Dumbest Timeline America. <laughs> Speaking of Dumbest Timeline America, we're going to play our, our game again and ask each other questions in the Socratic method. Um, because That's Frank it. doesn't like being asked questions. He doesn't like being put on the spot. Uh, what a he under, he sweats under pressure. Not an improv, not a performer. No. So Maggie, what is the most interesting thing you have read thus far over the summer? Book or article? Or tweet even, I guess. Oh, man. This one is hard. Um, book? or article of this year. It could be now, last summer. I don't care. I know. I see. Now I feel like I'm sort of blanking uh, <laughs> on the spot. I mean, I could probably come up with a funny, like comedic answer. Um, but honestly, the, like, I think for last year or the one that's sticking out in my mind um, was reading the Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein piece uh, in the New York times. It was a beautiful yeah. piece of journalism. And I'm really glad that it won. Um, and it led to a lot of other, um, also beautiful and horrific pieces of journalism that I was really happy with. Um, so I think that's, that has been a sort of landmark for me um, in terms of something that I read. But what about you, sir? I'm on the same boat. I think I've read like a lot of really good stuff. I would say one thing that I finally finished, um, I had bought this book years ago, like on the, you know, anybody who's walked down the street in New York, there's like just booksellers everywhere who just have used right. books that you can pick up for a nickel, that kind of thing. And I picked up a book called the Invisible Hook, The Hidden Economics of Pirates, uh, years ago. Yes. And it sat on my shelf for years, and I never really, I think I started it and then put it down. It's written by this um, economist named uh, Peter Leeson. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of just never really finished it. And then something triggered my mind about it a couple months ago, and I took it out of the library. And then also, because the book I had, I ended up putting in storage because I live right. in a tiny New York City apartment and my books all live in a storage locker in New Jersey, as all good books do. They go to a nice farm. Yeah, they, they go to a nice farm. Play. Yeah, there's definitely no like silverfish or mold or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, uh, I finally finished it. I've been taking it, I've been renewing the book I took out of the library for almost three months now. In the meantime, I've yeah. read like four other books, but I finally, right. I finally refinished this book. And it's a really enjoyable read, uh, both mostly because like pirates are fascinating and the way that he uses it to talk about like some really basic economic concepts that I just didn't mm. ever have a full grasp of because I was an idiot in college when I took like econ 101 and sure. I was like, Oh, supply and demand. I understand everything now. I can totally be a, I can totally I know how to make a graph. <laughs> yeah. So I, I would say if anybody wants to pick up a relatively short book that, uh, is a fun read about economics, uh, and isn't called free economics, uh, the, the Invisible Hook, which is obviously, you know, a, a play on Adam Smith's The Invisible Hand. Right. Can uh, I actually amend I, my answer? Please. Because I thought of something while, um, while, you're while I was droning on. Hook. Exactly. Um, so earlier this spring, I was having um, 
couple beers with friends and we started talking about um, books, picking up books from our childhood bedrooms and bringing them home or having our parents, you know, mail uh, books from our childhood bedrooms. And we started having a conversation about our, the books that we read in like middle school uh, or early high school or even late elementary school that really impacted us, which, um, you know, people talk about Harry Potter and, um, but it was funny how books that I had thought I was the only one that read um, that other people had read it as well. So that was interesting. But the one, there's one book that three of us uh, really fell in love with and then decided to reread was The Phantom Tollbooth. That book is incredible. Um, and I read it, I had it read to me, I think when I was a first grader, um, because I don't think I would have been able to read it on my own then. Um, but going back to read it as an adult, first of all, the text is humongous. So that's helpful. You fly right through it. There's also drawings in the book, which is nice. Um, but there's a lot of fun wordplay. It went right over my head um, when you just listen to it. So if you are actually looking at the book, you can understand um, the wordplay that's happening. And I just forgot what a fun, magical story it is. So I highly recommend revisiting Phantom Tollbooth specifically, but any book that um, you really enjoyed when you were a kid. I love that because I've been slowly trying to um, remember books that I enjoyed as a kid to read to my daughter. Um, oh yeah. It's a lot of Shel Silverstein stuff, which, wow, cannot believe my parents let me read that stuff when I was a kid. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's a great recommendation. All right. Uh, going along with most interesting thing or best thing. Um, what's the mm-hmm. best podcast you've been listening to other than taking ship? Obviously, obviously, obviously. Well, and all um, the other Truman affiliated podcasts that, that, right. that we so enjoy. Like those are all givens. Right. Um, because I am a podcast junkie. I am constantly looking for more podcast content. I definitely listen to it on my commute, uh, anytime I'm outside cooking, whatever. Um, so I've had a lot of new shows come across my plate uh, over the summer, but the one that's really been sticking with me uh, is the show from Slate, uh, Slow Burn. Um, I really enjoyed the first season about Watergate and the Nixon administration, mostly because I wasn't alive then. Um, but I have I've read all the president's men, so I know the general beats, uh, but the first season of Slow Burn really um, takes a dive into the cultural moment that Watergate created um, and gently, not beating you over the head with it, but gently draws parallels um, to the Mueller investigation and the Russia probe, uh, which is fascinating. Uh, so this season, they are taking on um, the Monica Lewinsky uh, scandal with Bill Clinton, which for me is an incredibly helpful piece to listen to because I'm learning a lot because again, wasn't totally politically sentient when that um, story was happening, but um, it's pretty complex and it does a good job of weaving seemingly um, disparate threads together to create the narrative um, and the general way that we understand the Clintons today. So highly recommend Slow Burn. Yeah, I actually have uh, had started listening to it earlier this week. Um, and although I was in high school and then in Israel for a year and then the start of college while the Clinton administration was going on, um, I really wasn't aware of a lot of it until I worked for him and then started reading kind of everything I could get my hands on. So even for me, it's been re- really, really fascinating. Like to have them take apart what Travelgate was and what it resulted in is um, troubling, to say the least. Uh, Travelgate right. is basically... Um, Clinton administration did some digging, realized that there was a lot of money being thrown around for no reason with the internal White House uh, travel agency. They decided to fire them and hired um, in the place of eight staffers, uh, some folks from Arkansas, 
which obviously got people all the Twitter and angry about it. Um, this led to uh, you know tons of media scrutiny and Wall Street Journal editorials and all this other kind of stuff, which then led to Vince Foster, the deputy uh, White House counsel, who was an old friend of the Clintons from Arkansas, killing himself, which then led into all the conspiracies that the Clintons had him killed. And every, like, it's when you go back to just how insane all of this was, um, it, it's it, it we the dumbest timeline America started a long time ago. Quite a long time ago. Um, so, yeah, it's nice to get a little window into that. Um, so are you as much of a podcast junkie as I am or sort of what has been on your list? I was when I was uh, commuting to a job as opposed to my, my living room table. Um, or when I was just wandering around the city, uh, I'd always have podcasts on now that, um, when I'm wandering around, I'm usually pushing the baby in a stroller. I try not to have headphones in when that's happening. So that'd be good. Yeah. Um, I'm not listening to as many or as frequently as I used to, which is a bummer, but I, I really did get into it for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. So with that, should we, uh, should we cut this short? Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel sufficiently vented. I feel like we yes. could talk about all of that news dilute. So yes, I feel like I've made at least relative sense of it. Um, and thanks then to all of you for sticking with us then through the fire hose um, that was this past week. Um, so please be sure to subscribe uh, and rate us on iTunes. Uh, follow us on Twitter at, at Taking Ship. And that ship with a P as in pepperoni. Uh, and with that, Ellie, where shall we be headed this week? This week, we take ship to Columbus, Ohio, to visit with the children in Nationwide Children's Hospital, where last week, Donald and Melania Trump, Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar, paid a visit to the kids to participate in a time-honored tradition of coloring with children. Um, because it's Donald Trump, it obviously couldn't be something benign like coloring in a car or a house or, you know, a, a teddy bear or a rabbit or something uh, it had to be an american flag which anyone with the gift of sight and truthfully probably a lot of people without the gift of sight knows has a blue corner with 50 white stars on it and then alternating red and white stripes down the rest of it donald trump apparently does not know this uh, he started his flag correctly with the red stripe on top then had two white stripes and then a blue stripe uh, we don't we don't know what the final product looked like. Uh, presumably, some staffers scurried it away very very quickly. Uh, but in the meantime, we go to visit with these children because we can only assume that Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and their minions are already on the ground teaching the kids to lie about what they saw. So we're going to go give these kids some support and some media training because we don't want them to end up in the glaring eye of media scrutiny that the kids in Munoz Riviera Elementary School did all those years ago when Dan Quayle misspelled potato. So friends, this week we take our crayons and head to Columbus to hang out with some adorable kids who are uh, um, uh, trying to get healthy and who may unfortunately be caught up in the middle of a media storm. So friends, we take ship to Columbus, Ohio. Thanks, Ellie.